Yes, sir. Welcome back to the NABGO podcast. This is your host, Antonio Mendoza. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. This episode marks the first installment of our perspective series, where we get different points of view from different people on topics relating to blind gun ownership and self-defense. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, the first person to get his concealed carry license, Carrie McWilliams, and the author of two books, A Shooting Guide for the Blind and Guide Dogs and Guns, his autobiography. I'm also joined by my two co-founders, Brandon Wisby and Abdi Moomin. And without further ado, let's get into it. All right, cool. So just to, you know, give the people who haven't heard you before a little bit of background, what age were you when you went blind? Well, I became uh, totally blind at age uh, 10 uh, suddenly from a condition called hydrocephalus aba. They went through my medical records and my mom's prenatal medical records and theorized that it was uh, about a domestic violence that started it. Would you say that was jarring for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like I would look at the TV screen and then I, could, I couldn't I could see the pictures very well. And then I couldn't I could see the TV, but not the picture. Eventually, not the TV at all. That was something I went through, too. I was born fully sighted. I had cancer at the age of 14. And throughout the process of the chemo treatments, my vision deteriorated. Is what doctors tell me. So mm. that that's my little story on, on, on my blindness. I didn't know that you could go blind from chemo. Sorry to hear that, though. I don't see my blindness as something that hinders me. It, it like really more so helped me. It changed my life for the best. I was headed down the wrong path. So I see it as a blessing and not something that hindered me. Exactly. No, I mean, it just opens up a different world. Uh, in fact, uh, being blind, you know, you can do a lot. You just, uh, you know, just have to change things up. That's all. Another question, what was what was your first experience with guns? Well, I had career day, and I wanted to join the Navy uh, always in, as a kid. So I went to a Navy recruiter. He basically told me, you can't do it because I'm blind. So I had a friend that was in an Air Force auxiliary, and he said, well, I'll get you into this cadet program. And I got into the cadet program uh, being blind, and uh, then I went to a, uh encampment thing because I wanted to become an officer. and. And it was like uh, kind of an introduction to boot camp. And uh, there I got to drive an armored personnel carrier, a tank-type thing, and uh, and shoot M16 machine guns. And that was my introduction. Real quick question. Do you think, like, another blind person, do you think that same experience you had to go through, like, the little cadet thing, do you feel like other other blind people can do that now in today's uh, society? Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, I've mentored uh, lots of people. Uh, one uh, most notably is a man he's passed on now. His name, his name was Jim Mika. He actually developed a scope that converted colors to sound. And we were working on getting the scope ready for like hunting. Maybe he could uh, develop a scope for that. So he gave me his formula and we uh, were both working on it. And we ended up in an article by the BBC called uh, Guide Dogs and Guns, America's Blind Gunman, with another student we were working with who was blind in uh, Oregon, a former sheriff or police officer, and he went blind, and we were helping him get his gun permit. 
And then when the article was starting to come out, um, my friend was uh, hit and killed on the road just uh, that day. So I was trying to get a hold of him and couldn't, and his family came me and said they have been struck and killed. I'm sorry to hear that. So that project has been put on hold? Yes, I have his formula. I'm actually thinking about reinventing it if I can find an engineer that knows about technology. But basically, um, he and I were uh, in the media the most at the time. And uh, we got together uh, through a book that he read, uh, my bio. And uh, we just uh, started working on projects together. And he wanted to develop a scope because he could independently hit targets at uh, 100 yards on his private uh, range, just listening to sound. And in fact, he's got a uh, YouTube video, if you look it up, it's called Fully Blind Marksman, and that's him. And, uh, and we got to know each other real well after the years. Can you walk us through how you got your first CCW and what the process was like? Well, I went and I uh, got the application. I went with my guide dog to the sheriff's department, and then we went... Uh, you know, there's a shooting test, and I said, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I had training through the Army ROTC and pistols, so not worried about it. So they had them tinling and gave me a application. I had some help filling it out, and then uh, went to the range with my mother, who's since passed, and she read me the material in a private room because the sheriff's department guy said, uh, you know, other people have taken the test. Basically, uh, we went uh, through and uh, took the test, and he had to get 100%, so I got that. And then uh, there were two others in the class that had sight that didn't pass. But basically, uh, he shot, had to hit the target 10 out of 10 times in the hard region at 7 yards. And uh, he had to do it within, I think the time limit was 5 minutes. And then after that, he filled out the paperwork. He said there was a lot of... A lot of stickers on there that said that this applicant is blind, blah, blah, blah. He said he ripped them all off, and he didn't care because I passed the test. So while I was talking to a police officer out in the lobby about pistols and revolvers, he came out and said, I signed it. In that case, you're probably the first in history to do this. And uh, he said, good luck, because it has to go through channels. And... It was signed by the Attorney General, the Chief of Police of Fargo, where I live, and the uh, Cass County Sheriff's Department before I got the permit, and then I got that in, in October, and I started carrying. So how many CCWs do you have now? I currently have five. I have one from the state of Florida, one from Virginia, one from Utah, one from Arizona, and then I have an, what's called an Enhanced Class 1 I got in 2018, which allows me to carry in basically all the states that have CCW except for 10, just with the one permit. So I really don't need the other four. But the deal is that that first class permit allows me to to do more. It's it's shooting test. I, I think I sent you a video, and that was way more intense than the first time. As far as getting your CCWs, have you run into any issues? And if you did, in what states as far as people trying to, you know, omit you because you were blind? Well, Minnesota was impossible. I mean, I passed shooting tests twice for them. And I even had to represent myself in court because I couldn't get help from even the NFB or the NRA or legal help or nothing. So, and I'm a kind of a kamikaze pilot when it comes to that. I knew I was going to probably lose, but. 
I'm not going out without a fight. And, you know, if you're going out, look spectacular, we'll doing it kind of thing. So Minnesota denied me that. I talked to a couple lawyers and judges, and they said that if I could get better representation, I could take the state to the court and, and from what they understand, very easily put them in a headlock. Because even the judge looked at me in the court and said, well, you can do the same thing as a Minnesota permit with the Utah permit. And I looked at him, and I thought to myself, well, if that's the case, why don't you just give me the Minnesota permit? Along with the sheriff being up for re-election, and I asked him point blank, I said, well, if I had eyesight, would you be giving me the permit? The opposing attorney immediately stood up and said, objection, and, they, and it must have been a home run because the judge said overruled. He wanted to hear that one. But I had to represent myself, and it wasn't pretty, but find out that, uh, you know, your civil rights are not complete unless you have a big bankroll. I'd like to touch on something real quick that you just said briefly. When you say you reached out to the NRA and the NFB, how did that happen, and, and what was your response from both parties? Well, the NRA, they basically didn't return any of my phone calls. They said they'd look into it. Nothing ever came of it. I knew a guy who was associated with the NFB, a uh, Wayne. Uh, let's see, I know what his last name is, it's escaping me now. But basically he said he'd take a look at it, and they just didn't want to take it because it was too controversial. And it was like, okay, so basically civil rights are controversial? All blind rights should be fought for, not just specific ones. Well, let's put it this way. They, they, they'll run a blind guy up a mountain for a quarter million dollars, but they won't defend your civil right to defend yourself against an attacker. Believe me, I, I, I've talked to all sorts of lawyers, and they agree and so forth. It just comes down to, I'm not Bloomberg. I was going to ask just really quickly if I could switch our, our topic and our focus here. What are some of the training techniques, the safety techniques that you use as a blind man that you could give us tips on? Okay, I can I can tell you a few things and the basics. Like I like I said, I wrote it in the book, and grab it while you can because it's only a print on demand. It's only going to be out there for a little while. So what I would say is, practically, you're talking about point blank range or almost near so, because in order to shoot in self defense and make a legal shot, okay, you can make an illegal shot all you like. I mean, you could shoot a knife-wielding psycho at 40 feet. You're not totally blind. You're eyesighted. And told the court's going to go, that is 40 feet from you with a knife, saying he's going to kill you. You have a gun, okay? That's, you know, not going to fly. For a blind person, you're going to be probably ambushed. Therefore, hidden weapons and hidden body armor is a good thing. Because if they don't know that you're carrying it, you basically make them blind. You level the playing field. Now, I have a level 3A body armor that's uh, stab-resistant, bullet-resistant, up to a, uh, well, all handguns. And then if I wear these level 4 plates, I can uh, be hit with an AK-47 armor-piercing round and be okay. Um, But the deal is that they can't see it because I'm wearing the shirt or the jacket over it. I wear soft armor during the heat of the, you know, summer. And then during the winter here, I'll be wearing the plates. Um, If you can carry the weight, by all means, because you want to absorb the attack and be able to respond. You're not going to be able to do that if somebody's stabbed you already. You know, your chances of uh, getting your gun out and actually shooting them have really gone down. So here's what I do is when I carry on the streets, 
I carry two guns, one backup, one both 9mm, no less than 9mm, because the government carries it for a reason. Basically, the minimal amount of damage that can be done to uh, stop a perp cannot be done with uh, smaller calibers. I'm sorry to all the smaller caliber people out there, the 380 people, but the deal is you can look at the ballistics and and you're not going to win a war by flying biplanes, you know what I mean? <laughs> you want jet fighters, you don't want biplanes. Anyway, the uh, deal is is that I carry um, critical duty, 135 grain um, hollow points, and uh, in a Glock 19 and a Hellcat, and I carry the Hellcat even on me in the house here. Because I learned long ago, you can't tell when you're going to be attacked. And then two reloads, and that's pretty much maximum. You want to learn how to shoot from your left and your right because one of the hands is going to be busy with your cane. With the cane, you have your first response weapon. You can keep them at a distance. You can locate your target. You, it also helps block them. and can be used as a striking tool while you get your gun out. So don't be dropping your cane. <laughs> And you can use it for a tripwire if you're ever caught in a mass uh, shooting situation by putting it on the ground and ducking and covering if you have to hide, if that's the thing. And if somebody trips over because they're walking, more likely it's the shooter. So you can ID, you know, that you're, you're basically your safe zone. Anyway, so what I would do is, because I developed this technique specifically, and I don't write about this in the book because it's not that specific. I took a more than one defense class where I would draw the gun because it's a four-point system. I would get the three before I would fire. Basically, you draw the gun from the holster, bring it up, and then turn it with your wrist as close to your body as you can because closer to your body, more secure. Bring your other hand over so you use your other hand to protect that gun from getting knocked out of position or knocked away from you. And then, at that point, use the trunk of your body like a gun turret and turn towards the sound of the nearest attacker. If he's got his hands on you, bring that up. If you can bring it up underneath your clothing and shoot through your clothing, that's perfect. It's basically, if you want to look it up, it's called CQC uh, techniques. Basically, not every battle starts 100 yards away. Sometimes they're in your face. So you want to make sure you can fight at close quarters because it doesn't help if your gun can't get out of your waist belt because <laughs> your arm's pinned. I've been in life or death situations um, where I've actually had to draw the gun on a human six times. And I can tell you it was instantaneous, loud, jostling, you name it. <laughs> it was definitely not. And I'll tell you this much, you know, anybody that says that after you use your gun defensively, whether you fired or not, um, you will have some trauma to deal with because you basically have like a, you know, a certain grade of PTSD. Things will make you more jumpy, so you want to make sure you can handle that. Talk to people. Make sure that you, because uh, the cowboy riding off into the west after he shot a couple of perps, it's not going to happen. So I mean. Just you got to be realistic about it. When you shoot somebody, or you even have to draw, I mean, you get dizzy, you get disorientated. You know that thing about duty to retreat. Well, in my state, I, you know, a blind person can't retreat safely because your mind's going to be on what just happened and the perp, and you're not going to be on where you are on your mental map. There is no retreating. It's basically stand your ground. Period, because it's going to take you. 
quite a while for you to be able to safely extract yourself from the situation because, you know, when you feel every time that's happened, I feel like uh, I've been punched around in the ring a while. My head's dizzy and short of breath and all that stuff, you know, because you just uh, basically got away with your life. You can forget things from time to time, so don't talk to anybody about stuff. Just kind of keep it to yourself. Don't go to the whole, you know, practice saying this, practice saying that. Just basically say, you know, if the cops come, then basically you put your hands up and say, I want an attorney because uh, you're not going to remember everything to begin with. I mean, you're just not going to. And, uh, and there's parts of the experiences that I've had and stuff like that, where I, I was summoned to, to, to testify at this one guy who attacked me trial. My wife was on the phone to 911 and stuff like that. And that was a really bad incident. And, um, and it was like, I was trying to remember how that whole thing went because I, you know, because of the trauma, you will have blank areas. Basically, you got to assume when you pull that trigger and you kill somebody, are you willing to spend the rest of your life in jail? So it's got to be basically a very high bar that you would pull that trigger. I mean, the life of you or your loved ones is in the balance. Not, hey, I'm having a bad day. I feel like Rambo. He's uh, up in my face. Boom. <laughs> As blind people, we all know blind people that, you know, just kind of get that sort of rage when people touch them or try to help them kind of stuff. And those are maybe people that shouldn't be owning guns, probably. I wouldn't say not own guns. I, I would say more so carry a gun because, like, I, I, a person like that, I feel like, you know, they would be able to own a gun, but, you know, let the gun stay in the house. You know what I'm saying? Let it be a house gun instead of being being someone who, who CCW or carry open is just more so like, because, uh, like, you know, you get bumped and you turn around and you get mad and want to shoot somebody just because you don't like being touched. But I, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't yeah. just count them out. Those kind of people probably shouldn't have a gun even at home, to be absolutely honest, because what happens if somebody goes knocking on your door, it happens to be somebody that's not, uh, you know, trying to... So people should really probably stay away from guns for the safety of others, because not everybody that bumps into you is, is somebody attacking you. It definitely takes a cool head and being able to, to think through things. Well, and that's the whole thing about, you know, with this uh, techniques and stuff like that, uh, being blind. Uh, when he was telling you about, you know, the basically it's invaluable to figure out dry fire practice. Basically drawing and getting that gun in the position because there's something called muscle memory, which allows you to do things automatically where your mind is a little busy. So... You can get your hand in the right position, get your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire, and draw it into position basically without thinking about it. So practice, practice, practice. That's basically, you can't do it enough. Sort of to that point, do you have any tips for blind people as far as being situational aware when they're out and about? Oh, yes. Um, well, basically, like you said, Especially on a windy day, your your situational awareness zone is not going to be very wide. So, like I said, body armor will help you because you know you're not going to be able to tell in time to do much to respond. You know, some guy coming up to you going to hit you or or stab you. So, therefore, that's why you have body armor to protect you when you you know. And like I said, don't space out. 
<laughs> because uh, spacing out can, well, not only get you run over, but it can get you stabbed. So you got to pay attention to your surroundings. If something sounds funny, avoid it. If you can, if some, if you got to walk right through it, be aware, put your hand on your gun in the pocket so nobody can see it. Just somebody thinks you may be playing with your cell phone or something. And uh, keep on walking and uh, don't stop. And um, try to ignore everybody because you don't want to engage anybody, even if they swear at you or say something stupid. Just ignore them and keep on walking because you know you can deal with them if you have to, if they attack you, but it's best just not to engage if you don't have to. But uh, be ready to pull that sucker in a moment if if uh, things go south. So do you wear body armor every time you leave the house? Pretty much, yeah. Because I either carry a plate in my backpack, a level 4 plate, which I can use as a shield, or basically I wear my, my soft body armor, which is light and breathable and actually doesn't feel too bad. Carrie, I was going to ask you, first off, uh, I want to say this from the jump. Uh, I love your name, Carrie McWilliams, and uh, it sounded, it <laughs> yeah, sounded very interesting to me. <laughs> So I was going to ask you, for our listeners who don't know, uh, where could they find you online, your email, uh, all your socials, things like that? Oh, okay. Well, I'm not on Facebook or any social thing I, because of the, the attitudes of people. I just I don't deal with it. So I, I go and I have an email address. It's called blindgunslinger at cable1.net. That's O-N-E, and then I have a website, Carrie McWilliams, C-A-R-E-Y, not C-A-R-R-Y, um, <laughs> M-C-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. And then that'll have some videos and stuff like that. They're older videos, but um, but basically I'll have all the contact information and stuff that you need right there to get started. Like I said, you know, thank, you, thank you for having me on. This is kind of what I do, so... This is no problem at all. I, I want to see a lot of blind people out there packing. I, I think that it's a great equalizer. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it. We'll definitely be staying in contact with you. Thank you again for coming on. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. That was our sit down with Carrie McWilliams. If you're on Twitter, follow us at NABGO1, all capital letters. If you're on Facebook, join the group. National Association of Blind Gun Owners. I am in the process of building a website. Right now it's pretty bare bones, but there's a couple resources there. You can find us at nabgo.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening and God bless.